0: folks, and welcome to Typology, the show on which we explore the story of you through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, producer of the show. Happy to have you here with us today. We've got a great friend who is stopping by the Typology studios today, talking about guest Scott Harrison. Founder of the nonprofit organization Charity Water. Get this, he's raised more than $550 million and funded over 78,000 water projects in 29 countries. When all of those projects are completed, they will have provided over 13 million people with clean, safe drinking water. So Scott is a bona fide rock star, and we're excited to have him here. Of course, he's been recognized in Fortune Magazine's list of 40 Under 40 and Forbes Impact 30 list and Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business, where he earned the number 10 spot. He's author of the New York Times bestselling book Thirst. And we are happy now to call him neighbor. He and his family have moved to Franklin, Tennessee. So when I say stop by, I literally mean he stops by today. And we have a fantastic conversation with Scott Harrison, Enneagram 8, Wing 7. Hey, before I turn it over to the host of our show, don't forget that Ian has a brand new book, The Story of You, and Enneagram Journey to Becoming Your True Self. That is up for pre-sale right now. And as a matter of fact, This past week, it just hit number one new release in popular psychology personality study on Amazon. So we're super excited about that. This is a very special book. You can pre-order it today by going to Amazon.com or thestoryofyoubook.com. And it will also be available on the shelves of your bookstore on December 28th. So that's some great news super excited about that book. Hey, that's it for me, Anthony Skinner. We're excited to have Scott Harrison here. And now here is the host of our show, Ian Crumb.
1: Scott Harrison, welcome back to Typology. Good to see you. It's been a few years. It has been a few years, and a lot has happened. You went from living in Manhattan to a farm in Pennsylvania, and now we get to (laughs) welcome you to Tennessee. You're living in Franklin, Tennessee.
2: Yes. It was was a short drive over here. Wasn't that nice, right? It was great. I'll wait till
0: we get off air to ask you, where in Franklin you live. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're renting a house. So I, okay. we're still
2: just, we've only been here six weeks and yeah. we've done a, a little bit of travel. So we're just getting situated, but we really like it so far. So you are... Somebody a- called this the COVID shuffle the other day. I like that. Mm. And they're like, oh, you're, this is your third place. You're doing the COVID shuffle. Yes. That's funny.
1: Yeah. Well, I did the COVID shuffle, but I don't think it was COVID inspired, but, but, it, but I certainly did a shuffle in the middle of COVID. Yeah. Right. So... You were on the show two or three years ago. It might yeah. be three years ago. I think ago. it was three
2: years ago. I think it was right. on kind of book tour. i wow. just written a book and I think it was three years ago. Wow. Yeah.
1: And you, you are an Enneagram eight. I but s- I want to be a seven. You, you want you to
2: be a seven. I was, I was able to be a seven during COVID at the farm. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's maybe just
1: activating that seven wing in a big way. Um, I'm curious to know, because I know that you're a, a reflective person more than eights typically are in fact. Um, what have you learned about yourself in the last three years since I last spoke to you? Mm. And, and maybe you could answer that through perhaps even the lens of your type.
2: Yeah. Well, maybe a little bit of our COVID experience. So we were 26 years living in New York city, fighting it out in a two bedroom, 1200 square foot apartment that if I told people what they, you know, what we paid, Yes. You just couldn't believe it. Yep. Um, th- this is the perfect uh, way to sum up New York City economics. We leased a Kia Sorento for $326 a month. We parked it for $600 a month Yes, and insured it for $300 a month. Yes. Right? It's like a $1,200 a month Kia.
0: And drove it twice a to month. To take
2: the kids to the zoo. No, we actually used it. <laughs> That's good. We saw grandparents and my elderly father. Um COVID happened and we just said we we can't imagine living a pandemic on the 21st floor of a high rise in New York City, uh, also with a huge loss of income from speaking and traveling. And so we we wound up moving to a really rural setting. And I think (laughs) what I learned about myself was I loved the anonymity. I loved stepping off of the public stage I loved going from 88 flights and 100 speeches to zero. Mm. Sleeping in my own bed, waking up with my kids, reading, splitting wood, um, cutting down trees, you know, getting a chainsaw, um, (laughs) riding an ATV. Uh, I did some hunting, canoeing, kayaking. I I loved being in silence in the outdoors. And I kept expecting to miss the buzz and the energy of, you know, I got wow. off stage and 10,000 people or I got to open up for a, a president or, you know, the kind of the energy of, of the, the airports and the travel and the book signings. I didn't miss it one bit. And I was, you know, we, we were all in the same boat, but we were able to kind of run the organization successfully remotely. I went up to this little attic and I would open up Zoom like everybody else and, and it worked. And I, I kind of didn't want to go back to the former hurry.
1: Hmm. Mm. You have this really um, colorful past. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so let's just sort of do a, uh, an, a very eight-ish past, right? Mm. Um, let's kind of review
2: it. Okay. I'm born in Philadelphia, middle-class family. Mom becomes disabled when i'm four due to a carbon monoxide gas leak i grew up in a caregiver role only child uh, deeply conservative faithful family Uh, they would call themselves non-denominational but you know they didn't sue the gas company because they were christians god would heal mom one day you know there would be a sense of this accident right because
1: mom was uh, the victim of a Carbon monoxide. Carbon monoxide
2: So her immune system shut down and she was never able to function normally again. Mm. Uh, Effectively, everything chemical in the world made her sick. So it's interesting. I grew up with masks. I've had masks in my family for 40 years. She would never, I would never see my mom's face. Mm. She would always wear uh, one of the 3M family masks, whether it was an N95 or a charcoal mask, because soap would make her sick. The print from, um, from a book would make her sick. The ink smell. So they, I lived in a pure environment. And uh, this, this is something I've kind of been able to reflect on a little bit later. I, if I went out, let's say I came home from this podcast and I was going into my childhood home. I would strip naked in the garage and I would put on hospital scrubs or clothes that had been washed in baking soda five times. So I would leave the impurity of my experience outside the home, in the garage, and then I would kind of step into a sterile environment. So this, this was my whole childhood. I thought I wanted to be a doctor as a kid so that I could help sick people like mm-hmm. my mom. And instead I became a nightclub promoter for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Close. <laughs> Uh, so I, I you know, woke up one day uh, at, at 18. I, so my parents had me, I have to tell you about this Christian school, they had me in an Assemblies of God basement for the ninth grade, for freshman year in high school. I remember wearing these uniforms uh, that were yellow and green. It was kind of urine-colored yellow, um, You know, starched uniforms. And I wanted to rebel so much against the uniform that I would bring clothes and I would hide it uh in the kind of the bathroom you know and underneath the sink there was these doors that it would open and the minute the bell rang i would go down to the bathroom i'd put on my street clothes and kind of assert my you know non-conformative identity wow so there were nine people in my freshman class that god bless them but the church couldn't afford teachers so they wheeled in a vhs cart <laughs> Do you remember those, like the, the steel carts with the rubber mats on them? <laughs> like yes. if you spilled something, it would be just nasty inside the little rubber grooves. And then they would put it in the VHS, and I I swear it wasn't even in color. Oh wow! So science was somebody teaching science on by video cassette. I guess this dates me a little bit too. Anyway, I told my parents that if I finished school there, I I would just run away from home, and they would never see me again. And they needed to put me into the four thousand person. High school. Well, they said if we put you into the four thousand person high school, you're going to be corrupted. We know how this story is going to end, and they were right. So it led to me becoming a nightclub promoter in New York City. And <laughs> no, but back I the I <laughs> well, I, I, know I, this I, the I public I, school's fault. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, okay, okay. Some it stuff might have been that VHS machine. <laughs> There you go. Well, I fell in with, you know, the crowd that was, uh, I I joined a band, I grew my hair down to my shoulders, which was a terrible idea. And, uh, you know, one by one started to rebel against the rules. And uh, when I was 18 and graduated, I said, New York City's only an hour and a half away. I'm going to go make it rich and famous. And I'm going to explore the opposite of the rules. I'm going to live my own life. Uh, my first idea was actually to join a band. Uh, that lasted about two months. <laughs> but I had imagined myself, you know, selling out Madison Square Garden. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right? So there was there was this kind of big dream of what was possible. Um, maybe because of my caregiver role and because of the fact that mm. I, I was needed in the household growing up. I was an only child. You know, there was a sense of confidence that was instilled through that. So I moved to New York. The band breaks up. And then I... I I learned that if one wants to rebel, you can rebel in style as a club promoter. That you can actually get paid to party for a living. And you can drink for free and you can do drugs for free. And if you get the, the beautiful, famous people in the clubs, um, this, this is a lifestyle. And uh, the, the next 10 years kind of flashed by um, or, or, or really blurred by and I worked at 40 different clubs. It started with the smoking, then the drinking, then the drugs, then the girls, then the gambling, then the pornography, then the strip clubs. And it was this kind of slow decline mm-hmm. of all the things I said I would never do as a kid that just, you know, the dominoes started toppling. And, uh, from the outside, I drove a BMW. I had a Rolex watch. My girlfriend was in the cover of you know fashion magazines. Um, I, I I flew to Milan and Paris for fashion week and through parties and was kind of this this world traveler that knew people in South America and Brazil and um, you know would would be on yachts and private planes and and uh, inside I was just slowly rotting and decaying because it was a hedonistic, selfish, sycophantic existence. I was living only for myself. Um, I was betraying the foundation of morality and spirituality that my parents had instilled in me. And this kind of came to a head at 28 years old, where I realized I'm the worst person I know. I'm leaving a meaningless life and legacy. And I want out. Um, I've made a mess it was kind of the, the proverbial pigsty pig where I, 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 I just was in deep despair.
1: So you then make a wild shift.
2: Yeah. I mean, I realized a, a small pivot was not in order here. This was not, not for me. This was not a course correction.
1: Aids yeah, don't do that. They so mean, I, I just no.
2: remember specifically Ian saying, what, is, what would the opposite of my life look like? Like, how could I change everything? Mm. How could I change every single intention, thought, word, you know, action and, and make everything extremely opposite? And my idea was, and this came from my kind of Christian upbringing, take one of the 10 years that I've selfishly, you know, pursued, you know, money, fame, power, girls, all that, and tithe it and see if I could be of service. Give one year sell everything. So there was this kind of idea of, you know, starting life over and, and asking the question, could, would any of my skills be useful in a, in a humanitarian setting? There was something kind of maybe alluring about that idea of someone selling everything they had to go live in a village across the world and find a way to be useful. So I applied to 10 famous organizations, uh, the World Visions and Save the Children's and Doctors Without Borders. They all Of course, rejected me because they wouldn't know what to do with a club promoter, reformed or not. And then this one organization said, uh, if you're willing to come live in post-war Liberia on a hospital ship and pay $500 a month, you can join us. And I mean, imagine for me as an A, I'm like, this is truly the opposite. The poorest country in the world, and I'm going to go broke doing it. I have to pay to, to serve. And there was something, you know, later so symbolic about, it was, it was a 522 foot hospital ship that 350 people were living on. And when I saw a picture of the ship, you know, I imagined myself walking up the gangway, Mm. leaving my entire former life of vice behind and sailing away to a new life and a new continent. Wow! And I went out with a bang. I, I, I think I told you this last time, but you know, the night before I walked up the gangway and surrendered my passport, I smoked sixty cigarettes. I got fantastically drunk. There's still stories of me walking up reeking of alcohol. But I knew that that would be it. You know, I knew I would never smoke again, or touch drugs again, or look at a pornographic image again. Um, I, you know, I was wound up being celibate for five and a half years until I got married. You know, I, I went all in. Wow. Um, or extremely back.
1: Yeah. And, and I think this is really eight, you know. <laughs> Very eight, right? Uh, you know, it's these, uh, you know, eights oftentimes make gigantic decisions. Some, I mean, quickly. The, some people would take a couple of years, you know, they sort of think about it, reflect. It's like, no, it's like, boom, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going it's gonna be this huge change, I'm all in, yeah. right? And all in is the, maybe the operative phrase there. You all know? in. Mm-hmm. All in. And you know, you, one of the questions I wanna ask you is, in my experience, people who indulge in a lot of drugs and drinking and you know, semi-addictive behavior, yeah, in your case, semi-addictive, some people go all the way in yep. as addicts. The question isn't to ask why the behavior, why the addiction, the question is why the pain? that's the real question so what was the pain behind those 10 years because i imagine there had to be the question isn't to ask why the behavior why the addiction the question is why the pain that's the real question so what was the pain behind those 10 years because i imagine there had to be
2: it's interesting um when I went through the experience of, of writing the book, I worked with a co-writer who interviewed- Tell people about the book. We want to make sure uh, they know. Th- this, is, this is old now, but it's called Thirst. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm not pitching the book, but I, I, I worked with a co-writer over about a year and she did a bunch of interviews. And my recollection of my childhood was so different than how she experienced it from the outside. I kind of mm. put a rosy spin on everything. Oh, we did the best we could. Um, This taught me how to be an entrepreneur. This taught me independence. Almost every act of trauma in my childhood, I put a positive spin on. And her, you know, her outside perspective was like, Scott, I feel so sad for you. You know, I remember like she was weeping one day after an interview. Wow. And that felt so foreign to me, for someone to be sad about the way that I grew up Uh, there was such a, such a disconnect. And I think that led me on, you know, maybe a a couple of year journey to process some of that, or at least understand my mom never touched me because she couldn't, I was impure. Mm. So I never was able to hug my mom. Mm. And now, you know, I've got two young kids. I mean, I'm so physical with them, you know, I mean, they will, you know, my, my daughter's five, and every time she sees me, carry me, carry me, carry me. You know, she wraps her arms around my neck. I never had that as, as a child. So I, I do think there was some pain, you know, and, and, and not in the, even in the church and the rules, because it's funny. Like, I've now, <laughs> I was having this argument with my wife the other day. I'm so extreme, this will make sense for you as an eight. I had the foulest mouth for 10 years. I would say words that would shock people. And then I quit cursing altogether. And now I don't want any cursing in my home. It's like this, it's this rule at Charity Water, which is just kind of a pet peeve and founders get to do it. Like there's no swearing at the organization because you know, it's our value of respect and we work with a lot of kids. My wife like, likes to swear every once in a while. And it wasn't until we, we did some counseling together and we kind of went through our, our trauma eggs and our, um, our past and she said, I always thought you were being self-righteous. But you're afraid if you open the door a crack, mm. if it starts with swearing, you're afraid of where you might go, mm. to the extreme. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, I was like this kid trying to keep the house pure. Now I'm trying to keep my life pure, my heart pure, you know, like the words my 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 house with my young kids pure. I'm doing the same thing again." And she actually had a lot of it was a, it was a great win because she had some compassion for me. She thought I was just being, you know, a, a prig about it. You know, why can't I swear? Who cares? What's the big deal?
1: And she's a four, right? She's a four. And that's always an interesting combination. The A four combination is <laughs> is always interesting, but but it can be really, really great in, in part because you are both intensely passionate.
2: Right. And often and authentic. We both value authenticity.
1: Yes, you are neither one. Well, yes, although she's more image conscious than you are, oddly, Um, typically anyway. Uh, But in her emphasis on authenticity would even be stronger than yours, you know? Um, And, you know, Aids are, I think in some ways, the honesty is a really important value, Mm -hmm. you know, when they get their stuff together and they're they're really helped. The number one
2: value of the organization is integrity. And, and we make it, that even above every other value, above everything else. I will, I will drive a half hour if I find that, you know, I got overpaid by $5 or something. You know, it's, yeah. and that's, she doesn't understand that. You know, well, why would you do that? That's like, I need to be able to go to sleep knowing that, you know, I'm always trying to do the right thing in the most extreme way, in the most honest way, sometimes to a fault. So that's, that's right. been a point of tension as well. She's like, what? A, who cares? right who cares so
1: it's interesting too that you know there's a saint ignatius has this sort of spiritual formation rule and it's called a jerry contra and um i talk about it quite a bit in this new book of mine right the story of you that um a jerry contra literally means do the opposite just do the opposite right (laughs) so if you're you know uh, an unhealthy (laughs) eight and you're living a crazy life part of the way of uh, reversing the momentum on that style of life is just do the opposite right and it sounds like unconsciously you just sort of adopted an ignatian posture right which is a jerry contra i am just going to do the opposite of everything i did Mm -hmm. and and in the process uh experience deep spiritual transformation you know that's that's what I'm hearing.
0: Yeah. Well, I have a couple of questions. One, and I'll work my way backward. What was your response when she said, "Oh, you're just trying to. You're afraid of cracking the door." I mean, is
2: that true? I think so. Yeah. With with a lot of things, this idea of purity, or being terrified of the the, the road to impurity, mm-hmm. because I I explored that so fully. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. The same thing, you know, if, if it started with a smell with my mom, it would set her down this symptom um, mm-hmm. chain, you know, it might start with a migraine that, that would then lead to swelling that would then lead to, you know, her throwing up. And it could be just getting a whiff of cigarette smoke wow. on my clothes.
0: Yeah.
1: So um, you're an eight with a seven wing. Did you ever wonder if you were a seven with an eight wing? I'd love to be. So, I mean, here's just the only reason I'm, I'm asking is you're pretty close. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the unconscious motivation of the seven.
2: I've taken your expensive test a couple of times, like the best Ian Cron test I could get. And I always get eight, seven. <laughs> okay. So
1: it must be super close. It might be. It, it may be super close. Um, if you think of the Enneagram as a color wheel, it's not like there's a box in the eight, there's mm-hmm. a box of the seven. You got this little space in between, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just kind of depends on where you are in the continuum. But really, the, the seven's unconscious motivation is this need to avoid difficult or distressing feelings, right? Um, pain, grief, sadness, boredom, stuck sometimes commitment um they can be uh, hedonistic in, in their own way um they can be narcissistic right it's the life becomes about them right regardless of how it affects other people my partying my whatever it's like yeah but please don't stand in the way of my fun right um and Uh, Of course, the eight's unconscious motivation is a need to assert strength and power over the environment in order to mask vulnerability and weakness. Um, I hear both things in your story, Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering which one sounds more like you
2: I feel like I experience a lot of pain and sit with it. So the idea of just always running to the next experience doesn't sound like me, but I love, I love new things. I mean, I'm typically, I'm one of the last ones to go home, right? If there's something new to do, you know, just thinking back on the farm. I mean, what I loved living rurally, there are all these things I have never done before that I can learn how to do. So I bought a book on giant pumpkins. So I'm gonna learn how to grow the biggest pumpkin. Then I'm gonna grow giant watermelons, right? I didn't buy one ATV, I bought five. So that everybody who came over, used, right? But so that everybody could come over, we could go out and explore together. Um, You know, there's kind of example, we didn't get one chicken, we got 26 chickens. (laughs) So there's both. There's the new experience that I love to embrace. I've been to 70 countries. That doesn't feel like enough. Um, I, 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 I love exploring. I love uh, new experiences, meeting new people. Uh, I'm curious. I love learning about new things. But I don't know. I've sat with a lot of pain. And there's this need to be against. That resonates with me even more. How so? Like, I think that's kept me going for 15 years. Charity water just hit 15 years uh, a few weeks ago and it's like this discontent with the fact that I still live in a world where 10% of the planet drinks disgusting water and I've now seen such abundance, you know, I've, I've, I know 30 or 40 billionaires. I've been in $100 million houses. I've, you know, I've seen kind of the, 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 the abundance, the money that's out there. And yet I've done so little. I have, I have solved so little of the problem with so much effort. So there's a sense of not wanting to quit of this like this animating angst that drives me to get this thing done to fight against um, greed, to fight against hoarding, you know, to, to release more money for good, uh, to get more people clean water. I, it's funny, I get asked a lot. So, you know, we've raised $600 million now. We'll raise over $100 million this year as an organization. People I mean, are like, did you ever think you'd be so successful? You know, did you ever think... Like you build such a bit, I'm like this is a fraction of what I imagined. It really is. This is a fraction of what I believe we would have accomplished by now, or should have accomplished. So I, I kind of just go to bed with like this deep, like there's got to be a key. I haven't found the key. Where's the unlock? And what I've what I've learned now over 15 years is I think you just have to be faithful and show up. And I think if you just kind of continue to grind. I saw, I saw a 27-year stock chart of Amazon the other day. And for the first 20 years, it's a flat line. And then in the last seven years, it just goes up into the right. And in the first 20 years, 7% of the value was created. In the last seven years, 93% of the value so I love that idea of like two decades of grinding and of course investing back in the business and trying sure. stupid stuff like the Fire Phone that didn't work and you know and then finding Alexa or Amazon Web Services or and I'm not speaking to the ethics or you know morality of the company but just that idea of persistent, directed, focused um, action and intensity mm-hmm. will lead to exponential. Growth, good things happening, release. So that doesn't feel seven to me, yeah. and it's not. It's not just wanting to have a good time and run away from. Yeah, you know, I feel so like you spent ten years. Well, okay, sure.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, at least. So all I'm saying was, you, there's a lesson to be learned here, which is there's no such thing as a pure type.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: People tend to play that too hard. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They tend to think, oh, well, you know, I'm an eight, and so I just fulfill mm-hmm. all the criteria for the eight, and and. There's kind of a big, fat boundary between it and other types. It just sounds like you're an 8 with a very strong, heavy 7 wing. We all have subtypes, and if you haven't looked at those, you should because it actually would even make you hone in closer to your type. Um, but I'm a, a self-preservation 4, which often looks like a 3 or a 7. Sometimes they get, in fact, lots of people, if you, if you tested me on a test, usually before I knew the Enneagram, I usually came out as a 3 or a 7 often a seven which you would think is impossible for a four right Mm -hmm. it's like really like Mm -hmm. but i'm called they their this subtype is called the sunny four okay right so you know um the there aren't these boundaries are permeable Mm -hmm. you know they're permeable and i think that people just have to uh, learn to understand the nuances right that you know, human beings are loaded with contradictions. Mm-hmm. Right. And so just to say I'm a pure eight or a pure this or a pure that is kind of naive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's kind of naive. Uh, in, in total. How do you do when, are, are you an autocratic leader or a consensus leader or a
2: consensus? Okay. Cause I want to be liked as well. So, Interesting. um, which, which I don't love, but I, I care too much about what the people close to me think about me you know or, or the maybe the the leaders that I work with or the team members that I work with if it's somebody just on the outside I, I don't care so much okay and but I also I've found over the years that better decisions get made when I mean that's just that's just pragmatic when a bunch of voices are inputting and
1: right how do you feel when people put limitations on you
2: give me an example
1: well if someone said you know um, you can't do that. Or when you were maybe as a kid or maybe during those 10 years, someone said, you got to stop. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Would you respond by saying, oh, I need to think about that? No. Or would it I would be like... I'll prove you wrong.
2: Hmm? I'll prove you wrong.
1: I'll prove you wrong, right? Yeah, and or proper, watch,
2: watch me. Right. We can't do that? Watch.
1: Right. So now typically, that's very eight-ish, right? Because the eight mm-hmm. is always, as you said, they, they're... Like, they, we say sometimes that their posture is a go-against posture, right? Mm -hmm. It's not come alongside. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, some of the other kinds of, or withdraw. It's go against, right? Um, And so what I'm hearing you say is, though it's a little bit of a contradiction, that you are a consensus leader when most AIDS, by the way, are autocratic. You know what I mean? Like they're very top-down. They tend to be very directive. And they don't like it when others... Don't get on board with the plan
2: or. I uh, was in the early, I mean, I would say in the first seven or 10 years, but I'm, I'm a lot older now okay. and there's a lot of trust and, uh, you know, I've tried to hire people who are much smarter than I am.
1: But you were more autocratic. Or, oh, for sure.
2: Oh, in the, in the beginning. Oh, in, in the startup years. And I would say that was many years. I would just have an idea and I would force everyone to do it. Yeah. whether they thought it was a good idea or not.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all that's, made energy that energy. Right that, cha-
2: that has changed a lot. S- sometimes I feel too much. I'll have a great idea and I can't build consensus and I'll say, okay, I'm not going to make everyone do that. But then I'll still say, but I still think we should be doing this. Right. This is a missed opportunity. And I'll pick my battles a lot more carefully.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm.
2: So it's a it's more of a mix now of right. a few things that I passionately believe are the right thing to do or the right strategic choice. And then I'm willing to lose a bunch of battles um, to to consensus.
1: And were you controlling in those years?
2: Yes. In that I cared about the details. You know, Vic will say, she's like, Scott is one of the, I've heard her say to others, you know, he's one of the few people that can kind of be up at 50,000 feet and imagine a world where everybody has clean water to drink and he's raised $50 billion and then he cares about a color like a shade of you know blue or the font sizing or the font spacing so i i've i've always done that and i will i'm i'm still in the design process although less so now um at, at my stage and maybe just development now if i don't like what a designer has done over a week's work mm-hmm. i have to really not like it Yes. It's just a small change. I'll right. just say, you know, that's fine. It's good yeah. enough. Yeah.
1: And, and what you're talking about here too is the evolution of type, right? Mm-hmm. You, you've learned some things, you've suffered. You've, you, this is what happens, you know, when we're younger, our type tends to be very florid and much clearer and a little bit more, I'm to say stereotyped, but really fits criteria, right? So we get older, we learn some stuff and we know we have to make adjustments. The human personality hopefully is adaptive, not rigid. Uh, and we're able to make some, some changes, right? um but i had an experience with this this morning we we're dropping a new course in a couple of weeks and my team was like you know i just get one email after another you know can you check this can you check that can you watch the video can you look at the font can you look at the colors you know what i mean now, i'm a four that stuff really matters yep. to a four right the aesthetic of mm-hmm. it but i know now at my age that if they let me get in there it is going to slow this ship mm-hmm. down so much that it will never be released. I'm looking for an Ingmar Bergman film mm-hmm. instead of a course mm-hmm. on the Enneagram, right? <laughs> and so I've just learned, okay. I just actually spoke with my assistant this morning and I'm like, I can't read all these emails. I'm going out of town tomorrow to speak for five days. Um, I have, we, have a bunch, we have a book launch coming. Mm-hmm. We have all this other stuff. I said, the team has to make these decisions and that's what they're there Doesn't for. it feel great? It does. I mean, but I do know that when I go to review the final,
2: Or it comes in your inbox because you're on the list.
1: (laughs) Right. But eventually, she just said to me, well, we'll send you the final with all of our suggestions to the production company um, and just get a final okay from you. Great. Now, when I was younger, right, as a four, I was unwilling to make aesthetic compromises. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It was like it had to be just so, right? Right. And I, this this <laughs> course would come out in May of next year if I got involved. Yep. Everybody would be so demoralized mm-hmm. and and feel like all the work that they did was negated. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know what? It, it, whatever it is, it just needs to be good enough. It doesn't have to be aesthetically perfect, right? Um, and it's Seth
2: Godin says, just ship it.
1: This is yeah. okay. So this is what Mike Hyatt told me, and we've spoken about it. Mike Mike used to say to me you know, Ian, just get it out there, Mm -hmm. right? You can fix it in the next iteration, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But just get it out there. Now for a four, that was hard, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I've just learned I gotta get out of these details because it's just gonna create havoc. (laughs) So I just passed it all off this morning. I just said, send me the final when it's done. I'll take a look at it. But in the meantime, I trust you guys to make the right decisions you know, based on what you know of me and the mm-hmm. level of excellence we want to achieve, et cetera. So now I hope I That's sleep. exciting. Yeah, it's great. You know, I, it's great for me. Tell me about an 8-4 marriage.
2: Um, well, we had very different experiences. I think the, the last 18 months was so good for me. You're spending time at home him, yeah. In, in, during COVID yeah. at home, not traveling, not speaking, not on social media. In
0: Pennsylvania.
2: In Pennsylvania on a farm. Yeah. I was wearing sweatpants. I was wearing camouflage. Uh, you know, there was no cool factor. There was, I drove a used truck. I just kind of embraced the, the opposite of maybe, you know, some sort of public speaker, or author, you know, founder lifestyle. She, kept looking for beauty and significance and was doing that by renovating. She would take a really ugly room in the farm and she would work until three in the morning. She learned how to, uh, she bought saws, radial saws. She learned, how to, yeah, pocket hole jigs. I mean, she was spending <laughs> hours on YouTube learning how to basically become a custom woodworker. I would just pay someone to do that.
1: Right, right,
2: <laughs> and it was just this. I need to create beauty. Um, we had we almost got shirts for this, outdoor daddy, indoor mommy, and this is a 1920s farmhouse. It was big. It 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 had great guts, but just needed a lot of love because it had been rented out for ten years previous. So she had a really hard time with COVID, moving out of New York City, her identity changing. Um, She's seven years younger than I as well. And she just had this deep sense of grief for New York City. Mm. I'm like, oh, we did that for 26 years, right? right? No part of me wants to be in a two bedroom during a pandemic. All our friends left anyway. Uh, And there's this new thing. Do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to canoe the Delaware River? You want to go fly fishing with me? And she didn't want to do a lot of those things. Um, and, and was really, you know, she, she launched a course actually, she launched an online course, uh, where she was teaching nonprofits how to start subscription programs. This was kind of the, the big factor that, that Charity Water discovered 10 years too late that tripled the organization in a few years. Um, just getting people to, to give monthly to the organization instead of once. So she launched her first course. She built a website. She recorded nine videos, you know, figured out how to light and and do all that. And then she sold it and she sold hundreds and hundreds of courses. So she was creating, um, but with a sense of loss and mourning. And Mm. one of her friends said to her, you know, Vic, you miss a place that no longer exists. Mm. And I think that just made her even sadder. Yes. (laughs) You know, and I was like, yeah, that's exactly why we should be content with this. Like, even if we did go back, none of our friends are there. They've all moved to, you know, Orlando or, you know, wherever, uh, Michigan. And so it was so easy for me to kind of move on and say, that 26-year chapter of my life is closed. Let's check out the new thing. You know, this move here is really... It's it's a move for the enneagram eight four marriage because it's church community, food culture. I mean we we were like we were living on a farm with chickens and chicken poop, and it was. I don't think you could get your nails done in that whole township. I got a couple of haircuts, and and they didn't Vic work said, out well. <laughs> I came home and Vic said i will go on youtube and figure out how to cut your hair never go back to that place again
0: that's hilarious
1: (laughs) that is funny so in terms of the future you know you have big plans for charity water you're doing great right what what do you want to do for your interior world like what yeah, what's the next chapter for your interior world? We've talked about the exterior. What well, about I the see internal? Sacred
2: Fire on your bookshelf. So that I read that every year. So I am thinking so much more about mentorship, being a good husband, being a good father, much less about my identity. I've 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 decoupled so much of my identity over the last few years with Charity Water. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um in which feels healthy i mean I, I I have this vision, I want it to succeed and and thrive, but finishing well is is a much bigger goal maybe finishing well as a person from a character perspective from how I show up am, am I a good friend the 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 stuff that is not work is occupying a lot more of my thought hmm
1: this has been a rich conversation. hmm
0: hmm
1: A lot of eight energy flowing around the room. <laughs> and Definitely. of course, in that in that three seven eight triad, you know, there's some three juice flowing around. Right. Um, but that eight juice is. Yeah. Feels predominant. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, feels predominant. How do people learn more about what you're doing?
2: Um, if you go to cherrywater.org.
1: Okay charitywaterdark.org scott thanks for coming on the show today buddy thanks for having me back it's wonderful to have you in tennessee it's okay. a real joy and I uh, hope we get to spend some time together
2: everybody's so nice here so yeah, i, I know. know well that was a, uh, i moved to really, greenwich
1: connecticut right from new england wow. kind of new york and i got down here and i made more friends in six months than i had <laughs> made in 35 years in, in as a new yorker you're
2: not sure if they're genuine but they actually are i know know.
1: yeah wait you just wait because you're gonna realize one day that you have more friends than you can actually uh ever service or service or see and you're gonna be like i gotta call the herd because i got work to do i can't have lunch and breakfast every single day of the week with someone who wants to get to know me i literally now have been i love i'd love to get to know this person but i only have so many years on earth
2: right that's so funny there is a deep my assistant said the other day this is gonna have to go in january or february because <laughs> i want to you know the same thing is happening you know yeah. i'll go through church at the lobby and oh you know it's great to see you're here could we get lunch coffee breakfast right dinner a drink and they mean it <laughs> oh, oh i and know and i it. and i want to it's crazy uh, yeah
1: but it, it actually is a great enhancer of one's life i i mm. love the, the east but i don't think i could move back now you know because the relational thing here is just mm-hmm. and the creativity is yeah. so rich mm-hmm. you know and uh it's wonderful again thanks for being on thanks typology. for having me thanks for having me guys and
2: thanks for being uh typology again soon
1: i hope so typology tribe you know how i am this thing may you have love may you have joy may you have peace may you have healing may you have rest until next time